This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. To Acts chapter 9, we're continuing our series, the book of Acts. Please turn with me to Acts 9, and we'll begin in the second part of verse 19. Looked last week at first part, and we'll start, pick up. Acts chapter 9, verse 19. This is God's word. For some days he, Paul, Saul, was with the disciples at Damascus, and he immediately proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength. And confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Verse 23, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night. And let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Verse 26, and when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him. For they didn't believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road... He had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. But they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, They brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Finally, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Martin Lloyd-Jones' book, Spiritual Depression, he, he says this. How did you get into this Christian life? We've come from that to this because the only begotten Son of God left heaven and came down to earth for our salvation. He divested himself of all the insignia of his eternal glory and humbled himself to be born as a babe 
and to be placed in a manger. He endured the life of this world for 33 years. He was spat upon and reviled. He had thorns thrust into his head and was nailed to a cross to bear the punishment of my sin. That's how I've come from that to this. And if I ever, even for a fraction of a second, question the greatness and the glory and the wonder and the nobility of this walk in which I am engaged, well, then I am spitting upon him, out upon the suggestion, be not weary in well-doing. My friend, if you think of your Christian life in any shape or form with this sense of grudge or as a wearisome task or duty, I tell you to go back to the beginning of your life. Retrace your steps to the wicked gate, Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan, to the wicked gate through which you passed. Look at the world in its evil and sin. Look at the hell to which it was leading you. And then look forward and realize that you are set in the midst of the most glorious campaign into which a man could ever enter. And that you are on the noblest road that the world has ever known. I believe the Lord wants to encourage you not to give up, not to quit, not to grow weary in doing well, doing good. What was Luke trying to communicate in this text? He's got a narrative about the beginning of the church and Christianity. What's, what's he trying to say? Most importantly, what does the Lord want us to leave with today? I believe he wants to encourage you to participate in the mission with courage and joy. Don't quit. Be encouraged. As we look at the beginning of Christianity and we consider our Christian life. Saul didn't decide after a long deliberation to switch sides. He didn't think about it, the claims of Christ, and then one day just decide to volunteer to become a Christian missionary. The only explanation for his transformation is that Christ intervened. The risen Christ, he intervened and he called him. It, his, his conversion, his encounter with Christ is recorded three times in the book of Acts because it's important to Luke and it's important to Saul, later Paul. As we study this book, we're learning about the beginning of Christianity and even in these nine chapters we've looked at so far, it can seem as if Luke's narrative isn't exactly taking a direct route, is it? It seems we're kind of taking the scenic route. Recently, I spoke at a church in Franklin near Nashville that we started 10 years ago this fall, Redeeming Grace Church. And after lunch on Sunday with Dave and Mary Beth Odom, the pastor, his wife there, I, I typed in Google Maps. I, I typed in our address, hit start. And, and followed my friend, the Google lady, I guess. Sherry, my wife Sherry, was with me and, and noticed pretty quickly that 
we were not going on I-40 East, the way you always go home. And before long, she said something like, hey, my phone isn't taking us this way, which I ignored and just talked about how pretty the drive was. There were storms, so I assume Miss Google knew what she was doing. I, I figured she was picking the best route. And it was a crazy drive home, lots of traffic, lots of bad weather, and it took us almost five hours to get from Nashville to Knoxville. A few weeks later, I was going to a golf course north of Knoxville. I went there a couple times, and again, I noticed Google Maps was taking me an odd way, not the interstate. I thought we'd take, and I again assumed Miss Google was aware of something I wasn't, was taking the best route. I think she even said this at one point. I'm taking you the best route. Then we were looking at used cars, and there was one in Cleveland, Tennessee, and we wanted to look at it, so we were on a very tight schedule. I typed in the address in my phone. It said it was going to take two hours and 10 minutes to get to Cleveland. Now, I knew it doesn't take two hours and 10 minutes, and I didn't have time. I said, forget this. I know how to go to Cleveland. I'm taking the interstate. And then it dawned on me, Houston, we have a problem. There's something wrong with my phone. So I went to the CCK IT department, <laughs> also known as Matt Bowers. Problem was fixed in no time. Matt explained to me that I had my Google Maps account set on take the scenic route. <laughs> For months. Mike gave public service announcements at the members' family night uh, Sunday night. This is a public service announcement. There's a scenic route button somewhere on Google Maps. At times, when I, at least when I'm reading the book of Acts, sometimes in my Christian life, sometimes in our church, I think, Lord, you're taking the scenic route. Or maybe even worse. You've got us on the wrong road. It can feel like that, can it? And it can make us wonder if God's in control. I have to look at this. How many times does Paul have to be in danger for his life to where he begins to say, you know, this is not being led by the Spirit. But God is in control in all of this. And Luke wants us to see this. He wants us to see, welcome to the Christian life. So let's look carefully at this narrative. I want to notice three factoids, three pieces of information that will encourage us today to participate in the mission with courage and joy. Number one, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 19, for some days Saul was with the disciples at Damascus. Now, we should not miss that, okay? He was going there to persecute the church. And now, it's a miracle. It's evidence of his new birth. He's enjoying the company of those he had come to destroy. It's a miracle. No doubt, during this time, the, dis the disciples there shared 
what they had been learning about Christianity with Saul, they would have given him insights from Scripture. Can imagine, here's the persecutor fellowshipping with these disciples, talking about their own experience. Can you imagine how encouraged he was and how encouraged they would have been? But most significantly during this time, Saul received a revelation from Jesus Christ. Galatians 1, he recounts this whole period. He said, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. That's why we can't change the message. For I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. You've heard of my former life in Judaism. How I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, sounds like he's in control, was pleased to reveal his son to me for a purpose in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. He's, he's an apostle when he's writing this. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. By revelation, Saul became the apostle Paul. Same way all the apostles became apostles. Christ revealed the gospel to him. Verse 20, immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, He is the Son of God. What a thing to say. Luke is, is stresses that at once he started preaching the gospel. Conversion can transform a persecutor. An unbeliever transform them into an evangelist. He is the son of God. No, no doubt Saul had worked hard to understand this new teaching he hated it. He thought it was an error. He knew what they claimed. Then he met Jesus. And he knew he's alive. He's raised from the dead. He's been vindicated by God. He wasn't cursed hanging on that tree. He wasn't cursed hanging on that cross like Saul thought. He wasn't cursed. He was there for you and me. He was there for Saul. Jesus was right. His opponents were wrong. Christianity was true. Saul was an Old Testament scholar. Everything would have come together then. All the promises of God, all the hints, the types in the Old Testament. You know it much better than any of us. And as he reflected theologically on this, it became clear to him. He's the son of God. The gospel can transform anyone into an evangelist. 
You may have heard of Chuck Colson. In 1973, the American press and political world were shocked to find out that Chuck Colson, known as uh, President Nixon's hatchet man, had given his life to Jesus Christ. The Los Angeles Times headline was, Tough Guy Colson Has Turned Religious. The New York Times announced, Colson Has Found Religion. Not sure they were happy. His conversion was met with skepticism. Time Magazine said, Of all the Watergate cast, few had a reputation for being tougher, nastier, more loyal to Nixon than any other than this one-time presidential advisor, Chuck Colson. He was embroiled in the Watergate scandal. He eventually pleaded guilty to obstruction of justice. Sentenced to prison. The years that follow, though, proved he had truly been converted. He had come to Christ. He devoted his life to Christ. He died a few years ago. They had a prison ministry called Prison Fellowship that continues to this day. What was amazing was to hear his enemies that he hated, and he was a hatchet man, forgave him. Other Christians that forgave him, and they were reconciled. Paul now is proclaiming, like Chuck Colson, he's been transformed from a hatchet man. And now this persecutor is saying, he is the son of God. Later in his letters, you'll see that reference again and again, but this is the only time you'll see it in the book of Acts. He is the son of God. And, and Luke is highlighting from the very beginning, that's what he said. He is the son of God. He is divine. Verse 22 says, Paul confounded the Jews by proving that he was the Christ, the Messiah. Whenever Paul talks about God the Son, it sounds like this from Colossians 1. He's talking about his divine nature. He has, verse Colossians 1, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God. He's taken on flesh, the firstborn of all creation. By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all created by him. All things were created through him and for him. He is the son of God. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And God has sent his own son. And when Saul met the risen Christ, it's like his first words were, he is the son of God. <laughs> Number two, factoid. We need to see. The spirit empowers the church. The spirit empowers the church. Verse 21, all who heard him were amazed. They said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength. The, the Greek here makes it clear. 
It's, it's strength that comes from the Spirit. He increased all the more in strength. He confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by the power of the Spirit. He preached and he confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving powerful preaching and teaching by proving that Jesus was the Christ. People were amazed at his transformation. They were affected by his proclamation. He increased in strength. He proved he was radically converted by the power of the spirit. And then he was spirit filled and it was evident in his preaching and what he taught. One scholar, F.F. F. Bruce, said this, no single event apart from the Christ event itself has proved so determinate for the course of Christian history as the conversion and commissioning of Paul. For anyone who accepts Paul's own explanation of his Damascus Road experience, it would be difficult to disagree with the observation of an 18th century writer that the conversion and apostleship of St. Paul alone, duly considered, was of itself a demonstration sufficient to prove Christianity to be a divine revelation. That's what we're seeing in this text. With no conspicuous preparation, Paul found himself instantaneously compelled by what he saw, what he heard to acknowledge that Jesus of Nazareth, the crucified one was alive after his passion, after his suffering, after his death, he was alive. He was vindicated and exalted by God and was now conscripting Saul into his service. There could be no resistance to this compulsion, no kicking out against this goad, which was driving him in the opposite direction to that which he had hitherto been pursuing. He capitulated forthwith to the commands of this new master, a conscript he might be, but henceforth also a devoted and lifelong volunteer. Go Vols. New definition for Vol for life, a lifelong volunteer. All who heard him were amazed. It was the work of the Spirit. What they were hearing was so contrary. And it, it proves Christianity. They knew he was coming to Damascus to do exactly the opposite. Now he's saying he is the son of God. He immediately began to evangelize. He knew the gospel was the power of God for salvation. Conversion is the greatest miracle. Are you looking for a sign? Conversion is the greatest miracle. Amen. Your conversion. Again, verse 22, he's increasing in strength. He's, he's speaking with such wisdom. He grew more and more powerful because he was being empowered by the Spirit. This is what he wrote later to the Thessalonians, a church. He planted a church in Thessalonica. He wrote to them later in 1 Thessalonians 1. And he says, he's talking about conversion. He said, we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you before the foundation of the world. 
He has chosen you because we know he's chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. That's what the Spirit will do. He'll give you conviction and courage and passion. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Again and again, you're going to see in the New Testament, you read it and study it, this contrast, Christians rejoicing in the midst of suffering, affliction, persecution. It's the power of the Spirit. Paul's talking about their conversion. No greater miracle. They're being persecuted now by their former pagan friends in Thessalonica. After the gospel came, man, are you sure we're not taking the scenic route here? They're being persecuted. They'd followed a Jew into a new religion that wasn't Greek. And so Paul's trying to encourage them by reminding them of their conversion. The evidence they've been chosen by God is found in their conversion. It's a work, a powerful work of the Spirit. They experienced the new birth. They received the gospel with the joy of the Holy Spirit, even in the midst of affliction. Paul's preaching was powerful. Their response is powerful. It's the Spirit empowering the church. Paul, please know, suffering is not a sign you're taking the scenic route. It is not a sign that you've been abandoned. This is what walking in the fear of the Lord looks like. I love how Luke never tries to cover up the afflictions of the early Christians. This is, there's no spin here. He's not trying to make it look better, is he? Make sure you notice that. Make sure you notice Luke is telling a story and he's telling it accurately and truthfully. And he is emphasizing that the preaching of the gospel comes with the power of the Spirit. The, the Thessalonians, they, they experienced the power. They had joy in the midst of affliction. Spiritual power. Jeff prayed and led us well in how to respond with, with little grace and all that she's going through. With James and Catherine in the hospital in, in Vandy. Being with them this week the thing I was so aware of was the Spirit's presence. James and Catherine are serious Christians. And they had joy in the midst of suffering, and it was tough. When, when I was with them, there wasn't much hope from the doctors. I came, I came back after visiting them. With little hope, I couldn't share hope, natural hope, medical hope with them. Now the good news is this morning, wow, there is some hope. We want to pray for 
miracle. We have seen so many prayers answered, spirits at work. But at the time I was with James and Catherine, there was very little hope. And they, they were not looking away from the bad reports. They were grateful for the re- truth. They wanted the truth. And they were grateful. And, and there were smiles. Because the Spirit was strengthening them. Strengthening their faith. I benefited greatly from being with them. I thank God for them. I thank God for this little girl. Oh, I pray for her. But that, that is Christianity. <laughs> that is what you see. That's what you see in that hospital room. And it's what you see in this text. This is not a sad text, is it? It should be. I mean, we, we have people are trying to kill this man. He's having to escape. It's like, you know, nobody called it Mission Possible, Saul. It's Mission Impossible. Cue up the, the song. You got to escape here. You got to escape there. And it's going to continue all through the book of Acts. But Saul confounded the Jews. He continued to preach boldly. Verse 23, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. Gee, I wonder how. It's it's God at work. He's in control. It may look like the scenic route, but this is his route. And he's in control, so he makes it known. Wasn't the Lord's will for him to die there. They're watching the gates day and night. Their their opposition to him was intense. Day and night, they're, they're persisting. They're trying to get an opportunity to get him to stop saying, Jesus is the son of God. Stop, we've got to kill him. But the disciples, verse 25, took him by night. Imagine the scene. They let him down, opening in the wall around the city, and he got away. Now he's he's going to Jerusalem. When he had come to Jerusalem, verse 26, he attempted to join the disciples. They're all afraid of him. Remember Ananias earlier in chapter 9? He was like, the Lord said, hey, you know, I want you to talk to Saul. And like, no. And the Lord had to encourage him. Now, the same experience. They're all afraid of him. This is Chuck Colson, the hatchet man. They're all afraid of him. They didn't believe he was a disciple. Verse 27, Barnabas, Barnabas took him. This time, the Lord's going to use Barnabas to encourage the church. Barnabas. Got to love Barnabas. He took him, he brought him to the apostles because he knows if the apostles will receive him, the church will receive him. He declared to them, Barnabas declares to them. Now, now we've met Barnabas before. Remember back in chapter four, his name was Joseph, but he was so encouraging, they changed his name to Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. This guy is so encouragement, he's like birthed by encouragement. So we're going to call him Barnabas. 
And now they're... The Lord has sent Barnabas there. Filled with the Spirit, the fruit is encouragement. This is supernatural encouragement. And he's able to come in. He brings them to the apostles. He declares to them how on the road, Saul on the road had seen the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And that Jesus spoke to him. And how at Damascus, it was evident because he preached boldly. Jesus is the son of God. And these fearful disciples were encouraged. He encouraged the whole church. You know, when I was in Nashville taking the scenic route, I, I had the joy of being with Redeeming Grace Church. There were many people there that I hadn't seen for a while, and they had been sent out 10 years ago from our church. I received so much meaningful encouragement. I mean, this wasn't flattery. This wasn't, you know, hallmark niceties. It was powerful. It was spirit-filled encouragement. And it, it was meaningful. I, I feel like the Lord wants to encourage the encouragers. Some of you are really, really good at encouragement. And I want you to see there's a reason... The writer of Hebrews said, don't, don't neglect to encourage one another every day because we need encouragement. And when I was in Franklin with those folks and they, they encouraged me, it really affected me. I think it's one of the reasons I didn't care we were on the wrong road. I, I was so encouraged. I was thinking about other things. We need that. And I think there's some of you in here. Don't succumb to grumbling and complaining. That's what all our culture does. They just criticize. They grumble. They complain. You're an encourager. I think all of us should do this. But there's some of you. There's a few Barnabases in here, I think. He, when he told them, just with, because he's filled with the Spirit and he has this gift of encouragement. When he told the apostles, it's real. He really was converted. He really did meet the risen Lord. When he talked to him about his behavior after his conversion, he's testifying, look, the Spirit gave Saul new life in Christ. They believed him. And then verse 28, Saul went in and out. Among them at Jerusalem, that's the work of the Spirit. It's just like back in Damascus where he's having fellowship with the, with the disciples there. Now he's going in and out among the church. They were terrified of him. Now he's, he's received. It's the, the Spirit building the church. He's preaching in the power of the Spirit boldly in the name of the Lord. He's disputing with these Greek-speaking Jews, the Hellenists, and Again, they're seeking to kill him. And the, when the brothers learned this, who's in control? He, he's preaching the gospel fiercely. Again, they want to kill him. Again, it's made known. And again, he escapes. One thing you notice here is, is Saul and Barnabas coming together. It's a ministry team. And we're going to run into them again 
later in the book of Acts. It's quite a team. Don't jump ahead and, you know, talk about the, the ending of the team. Talk about the beginning of the team. We're supposed to. It, it's, it, this is a precious thing. So when, when Saul leaves Jerusalem, he goes to Caesarea, and then he goes to Tarsus, where he was, fu- where he was from. And later, Barnabas will go to Tarsus to get him. And bring him to Antioch where they will begin their ministry together. It's a, it's a powerful thing. We, we announced our, our church plant at the members family night. And we talked about Josh Farnado and Drew Williams going together. One of the things that has encouraged us as, as we've thought and counseled and prayed about this. We, we were very grateful for your input. It's been huge because we've, we've seen, we've heard from you the fruit of, of the ministry of these two young men. And you've told us about it. And then, you know, the, the one thing was, you know, we were, we're trying to pray about who should go on this and where should we go and all these different things. One of the things that was so encouraging was it's like Josh... And Drew, I don't think would play together if they weren't Christians. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> These are very different guys. And, and all of a sudden, this idea comes up about this being the team. And you're like, yeah, but, you know, ah. You know what was so encouraging was how quickly those two guys were excited about that plan. And I'm hopeful that that's going to be a fruitful ministry team. Saul didn't do it alone. No one is more famous for friends than the Apostle Paul. And here we see him starting out from the very beginning. He needed encouragement. He needed Barnabas. Finally, number three factoid, the church grows in a context of opposition. One One of the things we continually see is What we read in verse 31, the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, Samaria had peace, was being built up, not not just in numbers, but, but in character, built up in the Holy Spirit and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit and multiplied. This is is really the end of, of this section of the narrative of Acts. And it's a summary statement. We'll see Luke. Luke, he's done this before. He will do this. He will stop a portion of his narrative. And it'll give you this summary statement. And it's an impressive statement, is it not? And he, he draws attention to numerical growth. He recalls Saul was persecuting the church. His theme has been the church is under attack. But now, now we see, no, this is... Not the scenic route. This is the route. And this is where it goes. The Lord is in control. And Luke usually when he talks about the church. He means a local church in a city. But now he's talking about the church. Throughout all Judea. Galilee. Samaria. The church. Has grown not. It's not just the church in Jerusalem now. Through the persecution, the people have been scattered. They've preached the gospel. Other people have come to Christ. In spite of persecution, the church has grown. 
That's what happens. That's what you can expect. Not an easy life. You want to be in the mission? You're going to need courage. You're going to need the ability to persevere. You're you're going to have to guard against growing weary. You're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit. You need to be filled with the Spirit. You need to be enabled by the Spirit. Our ministry is to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord, and it is going to be opposed. And there's nothing in Scripture that makes it sound like it's going to be easy. Adoniram Judson was the first American missionary. He went to what was then called Burma. He had serious courage in advancing the gospel there. He died serving Christ in Southeast Asia. Before he died, he buried three wives. All three of his and his first wife Anne's children died. First baby was stillborn just as they sailed from India to Burma. The second child, a son, lived 17 months and died. The third, a girl lived to be two, outlived her mother by six months and then died. It's, this is the way it's always been for the mission to go forward. It's the way it is in Acts chapter 9. It's the way it is throughout church history. It's the way it always will be until Christ returns. We don't want to have unrealistic expectations. We're ambassadors for Christ. God makes his appeal through us. We implore people to be reconciled to God. We offer you the gospel today. If you're here and you're not a Christian, we we appeal to you on behalf of Christ. We're his representatives. Be reconciled to him. Trust in him. You saw the gospel in communion. Participating in this mission requires courage and joy. Like John Patton, another missionary in the South Pacific in the 19th century. He had serious courage. I commend his biography to you. An old Scottish Christian, when he was leaving, objected to his plan. He was a young man to go as a missionary to the South Sea Islands. The man said to him, you'll be eaten by cannibals. Here's here's what Patton said. Mr. Dixon... You're advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die, serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or or worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer, Stephen. Saul, Adoniram Judson, John Patton, all his wives were filled with the Spirit, and the fruit was courage for the mission. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul, Paul said this, we're always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. That's what I experienced with James and Catherine in the hospital. Yes, we're of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Each and every one of us 
Every believer will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, that is the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. This is what... This is the kind of joyful fear that Luke has in mind in verse 31. That's what the early Christians were doing. That's what the church was doing. They were walking in the fear of the Lord. They had that joyful fear. They were being comforted. The Spirit was at work strengthening them, encouraging them. We need that. We need serious courage for our mission. We need the fear of the Lord. An expectation of judgment. That's what these early Christians lived with. We embrace this because it's the path to Christ. Father, I pray for us. May we be strengthened by the Spirit. Father, give us the gift of faith. There's so much faith in this room today, Lord. It's a gift from you. Strengthen our faith today, Lord. Even as we look at Acts chapter 9. And let this church be marked by joy and courage. Regardless of opposition. Regardless of the challenges we face. May we so know your grace, Lord. That we never grow weary in doing good. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.